I'm Mauricio, this is HP Urgent Care. Your rapid test results came back negative. I repeat, negative. Thank you. Bye-bye. And there you have it, my qualifiers. That was from my rapid test result coming back negative. Hey, what's going on, my qualifiers? Welcome to another episode of Unqualified News with your host, M. Mauricio. That's me. So I just wanted to start off the bat just letting you guys know, hey, I got my test and it was negative, okay? Because I hate it so much when I see the news and they're like, hey, uh, stay tuned to know if, you know, your your bed sheets are killing you, you know, stuff like that. So I, I, I re-listened to the episode and I didn't want to leave you guys in a like hanging situation. That's not, that was not my, my motive there. It was not my motive to get you guys to tune in to the next one to see if I got COVID or not, you know? Sorry if it came off that way. On the last episode, I definitely got a lot of feedback from you guys. Thank you, my qualifiers. I I appreciate it. I want to hear it. This is unqualified news. I don't claim to know the truth. I don't claim to be 100% right. I was listening to an old episode of unqualified news back from March 16th when I was sitting here telling you guys, hey, you don't have to wear a mask. Don't worry about it. What an idiot I was, right? And then an episode after that in April where I retracted that and I told you guys, hey, look, well, at the time with all the information we had, that's where we were. So like I said, this is unqualified news. You're definitely going to catch me making mistakes. We all make those mistakes, but I'm definitely going to let you guys know when I do and we'll go from there. One of the main questions was, do you not believe in COVID? Are you not believing that COVID is real? And yes, I believe COVID is real. Me more than most know that COVID is real. I've been affected by COVID personally, I guess you want to say, right? I just didn't want, it's just the stigma of covid that really makes it difficult for people to talk about it like after i took my test and i knew i was negative at work i would tell people hey uh i took my covid test uh last friday and just those words they would back up they would take two steps back look at me weird and i'm like hey and it was negative it was a rapid test and it's negative and they look at me well well, why did you take it i'm like well i took it just to know just to know that i was negative and they just kind of looked at me weird and they just whatever But I did that to multiple people to see the type of reaction that I got. And that was basically the same reaction I got. So because of that stigma, I didn't want to go out there and say, hey, you know what? My family personally has been affected by COVID. But early on in this COVID pandemic, you know, one of my brothers was COVID positive. You know, he had to be quarantined. It was it was horrible, man. It was horrible. But I try to remain positive. I I didn't try to, you know, over exaggerate and make it a big giant thing. Though we weren't sure where, where, what was going to happen, you know, months, months later, another one of my brothers gets hit, you know, and other family members get affected. I had family members that had to be on ventilators. You have no idea. There's no words. There's just no words to describe the helplessness that I, I felt, you know, at those times, like just kind of like hands up, like, I don't know what to, to do or say. So in this episode, (laughs) I bring you guys a couple stories that are not so COVID heavy. I bring you guys a story from Yahoo Finance, and that's talking about Kroger, ticker symbol KR. I wanted to start a little something extra for unqualified news. I know you guys, if you guys go back to a couple episodes, I have unqualified history there sitting there and I'm still in there. I'm still looking, you know, to add to that space. I want to make unqualified news more rounded like when you turn on the news they always have you know world news local news weather sports business so i wanted to add some of the things that i'm interested in into the unqualified news spectrum to better 
give you guys information in a more rounded way, I guess. I don't know how to explain it, but I want to start incorporating business to it because I'm constantly, always, every time I get paid, I try to put money away in the stock market. I, I try to invest every single time I get paid. And I've been doing that for the past at least six months now, and it's been pretty good for me. And I've gotten other people into it, and they're, they're very happy as well. So that's why I bring you guys that story from Yahoo Finance, Kroger, ticker symbol KR. I have another story here from the New York Times and it's talking about the tamal season over here in Los Angeles. And that's a pretty lengthy article, but it's uh, it's awesome. I just I enjoyed reading that one because it related a lot to what's going on here in, in Los Angeles. Like I said, I have a fridge full of tamales right now. And I bring you guys a story from CNN Business. And it's just another story. Trump Corporation getting sued and they're trying to figure out why did they quit? Why did they give them so much money? All that type of stuff, you know? Uh, Facebook. Hey, we have a Facebook page. I never mentioned it. Facebook page on qualified news. Look, good or bad, what I try to do is try to bring you guys information as I see it. As I see it from an unqualified perspective. I'm always looking at news. I'm always looking at what's happening. When I see it, I bring it to you guys. We figure it out. I mean, this is what we do here. We're not like KTLA. We're not like CNN where we bring you guys a polished finished product no matter what what we said is right that's not that's not what i'm trying to do here i'm merely just an unqualified individual just like you i hate to be so cliche i have the means to be able to bring this information to you to your ears so here we are enjoy the episode thank you Kroger, ticker symbol KR, rolls out on-premise kitchens with cluster truck. And this one comes from Yahoo Finance. And I want to bring you guys some news from finance. I kind of want a more well-rounded news outlet for you guys. So I want to try to bring you guys finance, sports, possibly. I'm not really into sports, but we'll figure something out. Uh, you know, what, travel, weather, you feel me? So this is part of that. I've been investing in Kroger ticker symbol KR so that's why this one came up on my feed and and this one is from Saks Equity Research the Kroger company KR in collaboration with Cluster Truck is launching two on-premise ghost kitchens across its stores in Metro Indianapolis Indiana and Metro Columbus Ohio the on-premise kitchen streamlines ordering preparation and delivery thus enabling Kroger to efficiently cater to growing customer demand for quick fresh restaurant quality meals with the help of cluster truck a technology startup that operates delivery only restaurants the company will be able to offer on-demand and freshly prepared food from a menu of over 80 meals without any service or delivery fee the recent development came after a successful pilot rolled out in December last year in Carmel Indianapolis and Columbus while Kroger's first on-premise kitchen is now open in Fishers, Indiana, the next one is about to be open in Dublin, Ohio. Unlike the off-premise perception, the on-premise kitchen will dedicate nearly 1,000 square feet at each participating store for a culinary space, where cluster truck staff will cook meals for fast delivery and in-store pickup. This extension of Kroger's partnership with Cluster Truck mirrors the former's commitment to make investments in diverse fresh food options with an aim to offer a seamless experience to its customers. 
Through the latest expansion, Kroger will provide its customers freshly prepared meals with the charisma of street food. Being a pioneer in ghost kitchens, Cluster Truck operates delivery-only kitchens or dark kitchens and has a software system that uses custom algorithms to optimize kitchen and delivery functions. This also eliminates the third-party delivery model. The Indianapolis-based Cluster Truck's approach to meal delivery ensures the company delivers all orders to customers within nearly 7 minutes of preparation and less than 30 minutes of ordering on average. We note that Kroger has also been benefiting from its acquisitions of meal kit provider Home Chef and British online grocery delivery company Okedu. The company also expanded its Home Chef Express meal kits nationwide. In July 2020, Home Chef collaborated with Impossible Foods. With this collaboration, Home Chef became the first meal kit delivery company that offers Impossible Burger. Moreover, the deal with Okedu has been reinforcing the retailer's position in the online ordering, automated fulfillment, and home delivery space. In a separate release, Kroger Health, the company's healthcare division, has renewed its collaboration with GoodRx Holdings, Incorporated for a span of three years. This extension will allow consumers to continue using Kroger Rx Savings Club program for availing discounts while buying prescription drugs. The Kroger RX Savings Club offers discounts on generic medications for diabetes, asthma, mental issues, and women's health concerns, among others. The program reduces the price of such medications, giving up to 85% savings on various prescriptions. We note that Kroger has been making every effort to strengthen its position not only with respect to products, but also in terms of the way consumers prefer shopping for grocery. Notably, the company's restock Kroger program involving investments in omni-channel platform identifying margin-rich alternative profit streams, merchandise optimization, and lowering of expenses has been gaining traction. We note that Kroger has been making every effort to strengthen its position not only with respect to products, but also in terms of the way consumers prefer shopping for grocery. And there you have it. My qualifiers, that's from Yahoo Finance. After that, there's just a bunch of, uh, just a bunch of mumbo jumbo that Zach, uh, want to let you guys know since this is, uh, written by, by Zach. Uh, you know, just where to buy, number one score, Target, Walmart, you know, stuff like that, things to buy. So what this is telling us is that Kroger is now going to rent out space to cluster truck to have ghost kitchens or, or dark kitchens or island uh, kitchens or cloud kitchens, whatever you want to call them. But basically, you know, when you walk into a Ralph's or a Food for Less like at 11 p.m. or 8 p.m. and, you know, and you go to the refrigerated section or you go to the produce department and that whole bakery is just shut down, all dark, very clean and dark. So that's what they're going to be renting out. They're going to be renting out their kitchen during the times when that kitchen is not being used. They're going to have cluster truck there making whatever types of foods that can only be delivered or picked up. So that's pretty awesome. That's going to gain you know, some traction in Ralph's and Kroger owns Ralph's and Food for Less, just by the way. So that's going to gain traction in a lot of those uh, fields, right? So the, maybe maybe now a restaurant owner's not, you know, 
aspiring to have a, a brick and mortar location you know maybe they're not aspiring to hey i want to own a, a perfect looking restaurant maybe that's not what you're aspiring to now maybe you want to aspire to make that dish you know create a menu that when i'm looking through that menu on my phone i'm like man i want that you know you don't need a full uh, a brick and mortar you know you you rent out this kitchen they have the supplies uh so that's why i want to bring you guys this and uh and kroger stock is going up i've been holding stock of kroger for you know at least over two months you know i'm not talking about big money but i'm holding them and they have been always going up for me trump's private bankers resigned from dutch bank this one comes from cnn.com by carol scano the private bankers responsible for lending to President Donald Trump and Jared Kushner have resigned from the Dutch bank, the bank said. Rosemary Bralick and Dominic Scalzi have tendered their resignations to Dutch bank effective as year-end, which was accepted by the bank. Daniel Hunter, a spokesman for the bank, said in a statement, Bralick and Scalzi have worked closely together for years since joining Dutch Bank a decade ago. Bralick was a trusted contact to the Trump Organization and Kushner and assumed the bank's lending relationship with Trump in the private side of the bank after the commercial lending division stopped doing business with Trump. Dutch Bank DB has loaned the Trump Organization more than $300 million. In a statement, Brolic said, I've chosen to resign my position with the bank effective December 31st, and I'm looking forward to my retirement. The Trump Organization is under investigation by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office and the New York Attorney General, and both agencies have subpoenaed the bank about its lending relationship with the company. Investigators are looking into whether the Trump Organization misled or defrauded the lender by inflating the value of some of its assets, according to court filings. In recent weeks, two Dutch bank employees were questioned by investigators with the criminal investigation and asked general questions about lending practices. The employees did not work on the Trump account. Brolic has direct knowledge of Trump's relationship with the bank as she handled the account in recent years. A lawyer for Brolic declined to comment on the investigations. Ms. Brolic is committed to cooperating with the authorities if asked, her lawyer said. And there you go. This is from CNN Business. And this is letting you know about an ongoing investigation in the dealings of the Trump Organization and where they get their money from. And it seems like the main issue here is the Trump Organization was inflating their finances, so assets. I just wanted to bring you guys a different type of story, kind of open-ended, didn't really do much here, but, I mean, everybody's suing the Donald Trump organization. Alrighty, Trump's tweets, at Real Donald Trump. They are slow walking the signature verification in Georgia. They don't want the results to get out prior to January 6th. They know what they are trying so hard to hide. Terrible people. At Brian Kemp GA. And there you go. That's from Donald J. Trump from Twitter. Currently 22,000 comments, 47,000 retweets, and 164,000 loves. There it is. Like I said in the last episode, I feel like this is just political huff and puff. At this point in time, I think 
everybody kind of has already accepted that Joe Biden is going to be the new president. And to me, this just looks like, you know, those last claw, claws, like clawing, clawing at the wall, trying to like not fall off the cliff type of things that he's doing now. It, don't, it doesn't look good. It's not a good look. But you know what he is doing? He's still remaining in the news stream. He's still remaining relevant. So I, I'm really curious to see what he's going to do after this. I can see him probably starting a news channel. Imagine Trump News or you feel me? Like something like he starts his own NBC. He starts his own CNN, his own Fox. I mean, he has the followers. I just I'm very curious to see where he's going to go after this. It's peak season for tamales in Los Angeles. This one comes from the New York Times by Tejal Rao. Big tamaladas are canceled this year, but many of the city's tamaleras press on because tamales, along with the cultures and microeconomies they sustain, are essential. To understand how deeply tamal culture runs through California, you have to know why Enrique Zaragoza and his cellmates collected bags of chili cheese Fritos from the Sentinella State Prison Commissary. Crushed into a soft, umami-rich powder, then hydrated to form a grainy mash, the chips stood in for masa. Using a piece of plastic, the men pressed and rolled it around a snack pack of cheddar and chata brand Chilorio, building makeshift contraband pork tamales to mark holidays in their cells. It was something to look forward to, said Mr. Zaragoza, who is no longer incarcerated, and recently ground corn by hand to make tamales at home. It was the food that made us come back to ourselves. The Mesoamerican dumpling, made with Nick's tamalized corn dough and a variety of fillings, has been around for thousands of years. Called tamayi in Nahualt, a language spoken by indigenous peoples in Mexico and Central America. It's still referred to in its singular as tamal or tamale. It can be a source of deliciousness, comfort, cultural connection, or income, but the tamal is not a monolith, and there is no single correct way to make it. This is the most tangible around the holidays. When cooks take orders for their specialties on Instagram, restaurants post handwritten signs for limited runs, and women lug coolers around through the streets, parking by grocery store counters, outside church stoops, and next to bus stops. The full splendor of tamal season involves all kinds of irrefutable family-specific traditions. One-of-a-kind experiments, a regional variations from Mexico and Guatemala to Venezuela and Puerto Rico, where a brilliant range of tamal-like parcels go by other names, pasteles, jalacas, humitas. At the end of a difficult year, both the microeconomies and joys that these tamales provide have become specially vital, so the city's tamaleras press on. We take it for granted in Los Angeles, but to have access to all these different kinds of handmade tamales is everything, said Claudio Serrato, a teacher and cook. She usually hosts tamaladas throughout December at her home in Montevideo, inviting everyone to take turns on the creaky metal grinder, milling Nick's tamal into a fresh, intensely sweet-smelling flour called masa harina. Many cooks buy the flour, then season and knead it to make their dough. Others buy the ready-seasoned dough masa preparada at grocery stores and shops or from their favorite tamaleras who often sell their own carefully calibrated mixes by the pound. 
but Mrs. Serrato likes to make it herself. She soaks whole kernels with slaked lime known as cal overnight. The next day, she grinds the swollen kernels and kneads the flour with stock and whipped, shiny vegetable shortening to make the dough. The masa is a large heavy mass and preparing it requires time and muscle. I know some people see it as a tedious task, said Mrs. Serrato, who's interested in native ingredients and indigenous foodways that predicate colonization of the Americas. But for me, this is about family and cultura. It's what brings us together. At one of Mrs. Serrato's tamaladas, you might catch up with more than a dozen friends and family over drinks, all the while learning how to feel for when raw masa is hydrated so it's exactly the right kind of sticky, to spread it evenly across the wrapper and leave a certain amount of space on the corn husk so the tamal folds neatly and evenly. You might learn more about who your auntie is dating, but also how to check if a tamal is cooked thorough. To note how the perfectly cooked masa peels away from the husk, bearing the imprint of its fine ridges. Knowledge is preserved and passed on this vital, intergenerational space. Grandmothers teaching grandsons, cousins correcting each other, friends sharing their own family tips and tricks. The cancellation of so many large annual tamaladas this year has been necessary but grim, in part because the tamal itself is an act of preservation, and the spirit of making and eating tamales is communal and cooperative. For Mrs. Serrato, it is even devotional. The slow process of making tamales, which begins with buying the corn, traces a line back to her purepecha and huastec ancestors in Mexico, who likely made plant and insect-based fillings for their corn parcels, decorating them with seeds, leaves, and flowers, and serving them to pre-Columbian feast. Their trade routes went all the way up to Minnesota, Mrs. Serrato said, explaining why she works with a variety of native North American ingredients. So ingredients like wild amaranth and bison would have also met the tamal. To make a small batch of her blue corn and bison tamales this year, Ms. Serrato bought meat from a local rancher and braised it until it pulled apart with a gentle nudge of a fork. She dressed the meat in a dark smoky salsa of pureed red chilies or onion and garlic and wrapped the tamales with her sister and her sister-in-law sitting at a table in her outdoor kitchen. It was a smaller scene than in years before, but the women still lit sage, drank tequila, and danced. Right out of the pot, Ms. Serrato's tamales were the color of wet stone, porous, tender, and springy. Inside, the threads of meat were pleasingly wild and gamey, bright with chile rojo. The tamal rushing with perfumed steam tasted almost alive. This is it said Andrea Serrato, her sister, scraping every bit of masa from the corn husk. This is the best, best, best you've ever made. They argued briefly over the amount of salt in the masa and planned to meet the following weekend to make more tamales to sell locally via Instagram, as they do every year. Carla Vasquez didn't grow up making tamales at home, but her family always bought tamales de pollo at Christmas time from women in Salvadorian community who ran small, seasonal businesses in Los Angeles. Tamal culture is so prevalent in Latin American countries, said Mrs. Vasquez, who is currently working on a Salvadorian cookbook, and so many working class women in my family have relied on those food sales at different times in their lives. This year, 
After thousands of the city's restaurant workers lost their jobs, many turned to wrapping tamales at home with their families, selling them in the mornings alongside corn-based drinks, unsweetened porridge-like atole, and sweeter chocolate-colored champurrado. Israel Ricardo Luis, a restaurant cook from Oaxaca, who was furloughed, now sells the extra-long banana-wrapped tamales that he and his family make together on the corner of Normandy and West 3rd Street, and supplements that income working for a delivery service. Their tamales de mole are smoky and tangy, rich with fruit of dried chiles. The masa is moist and tender, and thoroughly seasoned, worth the mess you make if you can't wait to get home and start eating them right out of the plastic bag over the steering wheel of your car. Though the work of making tamales has historically belonged to women and been passed down through generations of women, men do study and practice the craft. Alonso Martinez, who runs the pop-up Ponchos Tlauillas, makes Oaxacan-style tamales de frijol for special occasions, such as saints' days and festivals, serving them with a soup made from dried beef ribs, as it would be in Zapotec communities in the Sierra Norte. The tamal seems simple, a filling of black beans pureed with onion and garlic, but the wrapping process is intricate. Mr. Martinez presses a ball of masa as if he were making a tortilla, then covers it with bean puree. As he folds the circle, he spreads more beans on the newly exposed masa, spreading and folding, spreading and folding, until he's left with a small, pudgy parcel full of hidden layers. Sandwiched with fresh avocado leaves and wrapped with a softened banana leaf, the tamal takes on all of the delicate, herbaceous flavors around it. Though this tamal is vegan, many kinds across cultures are bound with animal fats, often lard, griddling meat, and cheese. Shayane Sarabia, who was born in East Los Angeles and runs Shane's Tamales, started making vegan tamales for friends and family in 2009, looking to recreate his childhood memories of red pork and green chicken tamales. He and his mother, Micaela Sarabia, now work together making over 1,000 tamales in a busy week during the holidays, fulfilling the non-stop orders that come in through Instagram, text messages, and over the phone, and delivering them throughout the city with salsas and sides. Mr. Sarabia cooks mushrooms instead of pork. He replaces chicken with shredded wheat and soy mixture, which he marinates, dehydrates, and simmers in his mother's green chile for a gently bouncy texture infused with the tang of tomatillos and garlic. When he plates the tamal, he unwraps it most of the way so its chubby shape is revealed, then serves it open-faced scattered with thinly sliced pink pickled onions, a dribble of salsa, seasonal flowers and herbs. It's beautiful, and a reminder that the tamal is a special, celebratory, valuable food that has never stopped evolving. Yes. You can buy a tamal on the street for two bucks, but it's not street food, said Mrs. Serrato. It's a portal, it's a storyteller, it's a carrier of ancestral memory, and it's gone through a lot of hands. And there you have it, my qualifiers. That was from the New York Times talking about the tamal season here in Los Angeles. And they're right. I have probably three different types of tamales right now in my fridge as we speak. I have some Salvadorian tamales, some red Mexican tamales, some green Mexican tamales. So yeah, the tamal season is real. I've never heard it been called a tamalada, but I, I just never been heard it called that. And I wanted to bring you guys this story because I read that word 
micro economies and just stuck out I, I just something that i never thought of where yeah these these ladies these these guys selling tamales in the corners and stuff like that that is a, a micro economy that's an economy that we just don't have on paper black and white you know so that's that's the main reason why i want to bring you guys this and also uh those bison tamales sound good too that is all <laughs>